Hey everybody, Jason Patria here. You know, people always ask me, Jason, what is your favorite episode of the Lead With Your Brand podcast? Well, I have to be honest, I love all of our episodes, but today, let's go back into the vaults to hear one of our fan favorite episodes with one of my favorite people. It is Susan Jen Davis, who is the Social Impact Officer at Al Roker Entertainment. Now, I first met Susan when I was working back at Comcast NBC Universal, and she was their chief sustainability officer. Now, over the years, Susan has been an amazing mentor to both myself as well as hundreds and thousands of other folks working in the corporate space. So now enjoy this fan favorite episode with Susan Jin Davis. When I first came to Comcast, I still remember this. My boss at the time had me walk down Boss Row. That's not what it was officially called. That's what I called it, Boss Row. And she introduced me to Steve and Steve was like, tell me something I need to know about blah, blah, blah. And I was like, holy beep. (laughs) Nice to meet you. And I just had to on the fly do an elevator pitch. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, it's Jason Patria here, and you're listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. I have got a fabulous guest today. It is Susan Jin Davis, who is the Social Impact Officer for Al Roker Entertainment. But before we get to Susan, I want to talk a little bit about your daily behaviors, Because ultimately, how you act is what defines your brand. Let me say that again. How you act and how you operate is what defines your brand. Because you've heard me say this before, it doesn't matter what your degrees are. It doesn't matter how many fabulous companies and job titles you've had. How you show up and interact with me every single day and with everybody else is ultimately what defines your brand. Now, we always talk about this notion of bringing your best authentic self to the table. And I want to talk a little bit about that because when you think about your authenticity, it isn't just about being who you are and putting a stake in the ground and not changing. Because ultimately, your brand is about others. It's not just about you. So when you think about those words that you describe yourself, like if you're describing yourself as dynamic, or I might uh, describe myself as a showman, right? You need to think in the moment, 
is that working for me? Is leading with being dynamic? Is leading with a showman helping me here? Or are there other authentic brand attributes that I maybe need to lead with in this situation to be more effective? Maybe I need to be less of a showman right now, and maybe I need to be more of a storyteller. You know what? Maybe I need to be less of an advocate right now, and I need to be more of a super connector in terms of bringing people together and bringing ideas together. You can look into your bank of brand attributes and really think, where do I need to lead with that's going to drive value for me strategically in the moment with the career audience I'm with? Now, the other thing I want you to think about is that volume dial right? Because we can all control that volume dial as long as we are thinking about it. Now, that means right now, maybe I need to turn up the volume and being a showman because I'm doing a podcast right now. But maybe when I'm working with an individual coaching client, or maybe when I'm coaching an executive that's working on a business transformation, maybe I need to turn down the volume on that brand attribute and turn the volume up on something else. Because ultimately, it's the right behavior at the right time with the right level of intensity and volume. Well, I am excited about today's guest. Her name is Susan Jin Davis, and she is the social impact officer for Al Roker Entertainment, a leading producer of TV, digital, branded programming, and entertainment. She's also the advisor for ALO Advisors, a firm specializing in areas of sustainability, diversity, and corporate social responsibility. And she is also a super cool social impact and sustainability Senior Advisor for Philadelphia Soccer 2026. Now, she has an amazing career. She was a senior executive at Comcast Corporation for over 15 years, including being their first chief sustainability officer. And she's a huge advocate for Asian American and Pacific Islanders. She led and launched Comcast's Internet Essentials program and had a storied career in Silicon Valley prior to joining Comcast. We'll be back in just a few moments with Susan Jin Davis. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. We are back. I am here with a fabulous person. It is Susan Jin Davis, who is the social impact officer for Al Roker Entertainment. Susan, what's going on? Jason, it's so good to be here. It's fabulous to have you. I have been wanting to talk to you for so long. So let's jump right in. Susan, tell me, when you are out networking, when you are interacting and meeting people, how do you explain who you are and what you do? Well, it's a very complicated, very long answer, but I'm going to try to shorten it because we only have so much time here. Right. (laughs) So many things. But, you know, I think the way I like to see myself is, that I am a social impact officer. And that's my title with Al Roker Entertainment, but that really encompasses who I think I am. I am very inspired about 
doing important things that are going to impact the world and others around me. I am a change agent. Um, I am somebody who recognizes that change doesn't always happen automatically, easily, in maybe the so-called right way. And and so I'm, I'm intrigued on how I can impact my environment and how I can make a difference. And that's that's the thing that keeps me motivated. That keeps me, you know, having a purposeful life and really makes me happy. And so that that's how I would explain what I am, who I am, what I'm doing. Yeah, so I love this being a change agent and having a a purposeful life. Now, Susan, tell me what are some new and exciting things that you're working on over at Al Roker Entertainment? Well, what I love about ARE is first of all, Al Roker. I mean, let's just have a let's have a moment of of pure love and adoration. Um, we met while I was at Comcast, of course, and he was just amazing and inspiring. Um, to work with on sustainability because he obviously cares a lot about it and he was our talent in that area. And after I left the company, we talked about how I could continue working with him on social impacts like sustainability, like diversity, equity, and inclusion, social justice, you know, all those really small, minor kinds of areas of, of, of life and how I could maybe turn some of my experience into production and storytelling that would really impact people on how they thought about these things and motivate people to do more, get companies to mobilize employees and to be able to articulate why they do the good things they do and all that good stuff. So the sky's the limit in terms of what I'm doing with ARE but it is absolutely in my sweet spot and in my love of life, which is social impact. Yeah. And tell me, how did you and, and Al Roker really bond over, over social impact and, and change in this space? Well, I think we bonded first over Korean barbecue, to be truthful. <laughs> I find... I find that food is is a way for people to truly bond. Yes. And then once that happens, so I'm Korean, by the way, so Korean barbecue and soju, once that bond happens, then everything else follows. <laughs> Everything's possible, right? Everything's possible. And that's why a lot of us, you know, do so much over food, right? And we love to share food in our table and we love to to give food and receive food. So, you know, I'm I'm only half joking. But in, in reality, it was the fact that I had watched him for decades talk about what essentially became climate change and what yeah. became the issue of the day and how what we're doing to Mother Earth is really affecting everything, everyone, all living beings on this earth. And so seeing him talk about it and then being able to work with him on actual things that the company was doing around addressing climate change, around reducing our emissions and our carbon footprint, you know, that was a dream come true, right? You know, you could go from, you know, somebody you look up to, to somebody that you're learning from, to somebody that you can work with on actual impacting things. So that's really how it started. And, um, and we got to be friends along the way too. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it sounds like this is sort of a, a dream role in sort of this next chapter of your life. Now, Susan, I really wanted to talk to you because you have just this like storied career. I mean, you spent 15 years at Comcast. You were their first chief sustainability officer. You know, before that, you were working in Silicon Valley. You're a 
a trained attorney. You worked in the legal space. I mean, tell me, when you look back over your career, what have been some of the biggest career breakthrough moments for you? That's a great question. I'm still trying to figure that out in a lot of ways because I don't feel (laughs) the learning never ends. You know, if anything, like the older you get, the less, the more you realize I know very little. But what I do, when I look back on my career, and I've been extremely fortunate because I've had the luck of being at the right place at the right time. But more importantly, I've had sponsorship. And I know that seems to be kind of an overused word, but it really is true. It really happened to be people who were really powerful and important for some reason took an interest in me and helped me move up and move forward. They had confidence in me before I had confidence in myself and before I believed in myself. And they put me in positions to succeed. So I think that was definitely a big breakthrough for me from the very beginning of my career when literally, you know, I remember like one of my bosses would almost like put her hand on my shoulder and like grab me and push me into rooms physically and and demand that I speak up. I had bosses that would give me assignments for which I was not really, I I wasn't qualified. So I was like, you know, I, I've never done that. And they would say to me, you know what? You're smart. You're going to figure it out. You've got transferable skills. I didn't even know I had skills, let alone transferable ones. I was young in my career. But the point is, is that, you know, they, they put me in those positions. And, you know, even more recently, when I first came to Comcast, I still remember this. My boss at the time had me walk down boss row. That's not what it was officially called. That's what I called it. Boss Row. Yeah. Tell me about, so what made it Boss Row? Well, they were all like the really important people were on this floor. I mean, it was the president, the CFO, you know, it was everybody that, you know, was much more important than me and determined my destiny. And so she, she walked me down that corridor and she knocked on Steve Burke's door. He, he, at the time was the president of Comcast cable. And he said, and she said, I want you to meet this person. Here's what she's going to be doing. And by the way, I had a very ill-defined position, which is another part of the sponsorship, which was, why don't we, I kind of know what I want you to do because of your skill set and your experience, but let's all learn as you do it. Here's the problems that you need to solve. So she, like, even before she truly knew me, she just kind of took a risk on me. Um, And she introduced me to Steve and Steve was like, if, if you remember him, you know, he's of like, course. tell me something I need to know about blah, blah, blah. And I was like, holy beep. Uh, <laughs> nice to meet you. Um, and I just had to on the fly do an elevator pitch and just talked about like something that was important to the business at the moment in the area I was being brought in to do. And I went from there. But the point is, is that it was those kinds of moments of sponsorship where somebody important, somebody with power and influence put me in rooms where it happened, Yeah, put me in positions where I could have, where I could be above the radar screen. This was not something that I did like, oh, let me talk to this person who will do that. And I think that's, that was so key to my success. And it had nothing to do with me per se. It wasn't like I did something like pick me, be my sponsor. Like I'm an orphan, like, Hey, you know, adopt me. It wasn't <laughs> like that. Uh, so, you know, luckily they did adopt me and luckily I was able, you know, to perform because then, you know, I hope I don't have to tell people 
well, you better perform and work hard. Yeah, that's table stakes. We, we, we hope you do that no matter what. And then it was really up to me. How would I carry that forward? So that, that was really one major breakthrough. Um, and I got a couple others too, if you're interested. Yeah, yeah. Give me a couple of your other big breakthroughs. All right. So the other big breakthrough, and by the way, this is one that I'm only realizing recently. Just boy, I don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell anybody secret. on the podcast. It's, it's our secret. I think the breakthrough that I had at some point in mid-career was when I started to be myself and not some cheap imitation of someone else. Wow. Uh, and and I think that's really when, I guess the way I would put it is when my personal and professional worlds converged. Ooh. When I was really able to be myself, utilize the lessons that I learned growing up as a child of immigrants, as a minority, and how I used those in a work setting. So I kind of always kept everything separate. You know, there, there was the, the Korean woman at home, right? Yeah. And then the non-Korean, non-woman, neutral person at work. Uh, you know, as it turns out, that really doesn't work well. And I began to see that I wasn't really being authentic. People weren't, you know, I wasn't really resonating with people because I wasn't being who I was meant to be and who I was. And so, you know, I, I realized that the things that used to make me ashamed, that used to make me feel wrong and feel like an outsider were actually the things that could captivate and motivate, inspire and lead others. Um, because I, I think, number one, I, they could see me. I could be seen for who I am. Yeah. And that allowed others to feel like they could be seen, they could be themselves. And when you have that kind of environment, it, it creates, I guess, it, it's it's inclusion. It creates this environment of belonging. And then everybody can do the best they can do. They can be the best they can be. Um, and there's no artifice there. And I think that was like really important for me because I think as a woman and as a minority, for whatever reason, we're told that we have to be someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're a woman, you've got to like degender yourself as if you can. Um, if you're a minority, you're supposed to not be a minority. You're supposed to be like everyone else, like be like the majority. And, and that's not who you are. Yeah. And you're not tricking anybody. It's not like, Oh, you know what, Susan, until you said that you're Korean and you're a woman, I, didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had no clue. I had no clue. So it's it's like this weird world you live in, or at least I lived in, where those were just dichotomous and just did not really make sense and didn't work. So I think that was a that was a really huge uh, breakthrough for me because it made me feel like, oh, I can finally be who I'm meant to be. Yeah. And Susan, what was that moment? Like what what triggered that where you felt like you could bring you know, really your full self to, to work. What was that moment for you? So there were a couple of them. One is that when I was a new mother to a four-year-old daughter, and by the way, my, one of my proudest jobs, no, my proudest job is being a mother to my daughter, Sophia, who is now 20, by the way. Wow. I know, right? She's an adult. She has her own opinions. She's her own person. <laughs> we, we like that hopefully she's her own, her authentic self, like now and forevermore. But, um, when I had, when she was four years old, my husband died of cancer and I had a very high powered job, um, Silicon Valley tech company. I was head of investor relations. It was right around earnings, you know, bad time to have a personal trauma. 
you know, yeah. as if we ever plan these things. It's like, Hey, can I, can I plan my traumas around my, you know, like vacations? Or something? So this happened and you know, that's not something you can hide. You, you can't, you know, let's just bring my work self to work and keep my home self at home. You know, the walls came down and I was afraid of letting the walls down before that, but I actually couldn't even, I didn't give a care at that point. Cause I was just devastated and dealing with a four-year-old and widowed and single mom or only mom and all that good stuff. And the CEO of the company sat me down and said, whatever time you want, whatever you need, we are here for you. Just forget about this place. Just, you know, we're so sorry. What can we do to help? And that human reaction made mm. me realize like, A, you can't really hide. Like life, you know, life is life and it, it rears, you know, it's, it's ugly and it's pretty head at any point in time in your life. And, and it's there. It's always there, no matter whether you think it isn't or not, or you're trying to hide it. Um, and, and that really came to the forefront there where I realized that I am a mother. I am a person who just suffered a loss. I'm a person. I'm a human being that's experiencing life experiences. And I also work. And guess what? These people are seeing me for who I am. They're giving me the time I need. That is how I want to be with my team, with my colleagues, with people around me. I want to be that kind of human being. And that is not a work human being and a, and a home human being. That is just a human being. And I think that was really that was really life-changing for me. And I think I began to rethink how I was going to act as a leader from that point on and to realize that, that people are first. Um, and that is the number one consideration. So I think that was, that was why I stopped being the cheap imitation, at least one reason. Yeah. And, and so how was Susan different prior to that loss than showing up at work after the grieving process after getting those, those things settled in your personal life? Well, I think the first thing is that it gave me perspective, you know, getting that email out and being on every single meeting known to mankind pales in comparison to being present in those life's moments. You know, I had to be there for my daughter. Okay. If an email didn't get written, if a brief didn't get finished, if a ball got dropped at work, that was not life and death. There would be a tomorrow. Someone else could scoop that up and do it. You know, that's, that's not irreplaceable. Yeah. So, so it just made me realize that, that, you know, the things that we do every day, we're, we're not saving lives. Yeah. Uh, we're not heroes, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, you know, we're people first. And so I think that, that was the difference is that I, that I got perspective because before that, you know, I was this hard charging, crazy person. I know most people are saying, <laughs> but you're, but wait a second, you're still hard charging and crazy. Believe it or not, I'm actually a milder and nicer version of me. <laughs> Everything will work out. You know, just don't worry about it. Don't sweat the small stuff. And, you know, I should have learned that early on because I grew up with parents that, you know, they, you know, they went through abject poverty, war, deprivation, you know, discrimination, prejudice, you know, they had all these big giant problems. Yeah. And I should have known from that experience, Susan, you know, the fact that you didn't get 
your promotion this year versus next year. I think, I think that we can survive that. I'm pretty sure we can live through that. You know, not to say it's not important at all, but, but it just, it just grounds you. It grounded me and I needed to be grounded. I need to be grounded big time. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about growing up and you, you've, you've mentioned how influential your parents and your parents' experience was in terms of, of how you've grown your career and even more importantly, how you show up as your, your best authentic self. Tell me a little bit about growing up with your parents and what you learned from them. I learned that growing up that, that family's important and that there's a bigger thing out there besides yourself, that you're part of a bigger thing, greater and larger and more important than yourself the sense of community and, you know, watching my dad, you know, constantly go out at night to help the the newest immigrant get resettled, watching my mom open her, her, her house to strangers to live in our basement because I had nowhere else to live, you know, watching them do these acts of kindness over and over again. And they didn't have a lot, but what little they had, they gave to others. You know, that instilled in me this sense of, you know, of, a purpose around building community. And, you know, we talked about inclusion, about creating a place where people belong, where people feel safe and secure. You know, I didn't realize that that can translate well into the work environment, you know, Mm -hmm. that making team members feel valued and seen and part of something and that somebody cares about them, that we care about each other, that we're connected. You know, that all came from my, my upbringing. I just didn't realize it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't make the translation until way late in my career, you know, like we're talking about like a couple months ago, <laughs> but, um, so, so that was like super important. The other thing is, is that, you know, I saw them being minimized day in and day out. You know, I guess we call them microaggressions, you know, they, they, there wasn't a word for it back then, but minimized is the only thing that they were made to feel small. Yeah. Everybody, you know, laughed at them or ridiculed their English or, ignored them um, or, you know, pushed past them. I mean, even when my mom was, was in the hospital right before she died, this is a woman that who's been in, who'd been in America for 60 years. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think she, she, she grasps the language and the culture by now. And the nurse would, would talk to me and my brother, you know, you know oh, do, oh she, does she understand English? You know, so, so there's little, like little cuts, thousand, you know, death by a thousand cuts is what I saw. And I realized, you know, how much the world made them feel small. And mm. then I also saw them in the Korean community where they would, would I would actually see them physically grow in stature and importance yeah. in a place where they belonged. And so the other thing I, I was really aware of is the sense of, of being minimized. And, and then I felt like I had to advocate for them and I had to be the voice they didn't have and I had to be the force that they couldn't be. And I started doing that at a very young age, I realize now, which translated into the fact that I, I am an advocate now for others, you know, as an adult and in, in many different spaces. I just didn't realize that it came from that. It, but it came from that, that watching it, feeling it, seeing it, being angered by it and wanting to change it. You know, at the beginning, we talked about this being a yeah. change agent is really important to me because I don't like the status quo. <laughs> the status quo is not good for everybody. Right. So let's talk a little bit about your brand. And I know you've you've been talking about that. But what are three words that you would use to describe Susan Jin Davis? 
The first would be courageous and fearless. And I say that because, you know, that was earned. Okay. That I didn't wake up one day or I wasn't born fearless and courageous, but out of my experience, you know, out of necessity, out of, out of trauma, you know, I had to just face things and I had to be brave. My parents were often literally physically pushing me in front of themselves so that I could speak to others for them. Like, you know, tell the minister that, that the Korean congregation needs, you know, hymnals, um, you know, speak for the Korean community. Like there was one time when I was really young and the Korean community was invited to be part of like a Martin Luther King celebration, Martin Luther King Jr. celebration. And they wanted a representative from the community. Well, I didn't know this because I was attending this with my family, yeah. but they put me on the stage. They're like, Susan, oh, wow. you, you, you speak. And I was like, A, I'm a child. Um, <laughs> B, I, I would have liked a little preparation time. I think that would have like maybe maybe helped me, you know, and C, I'm terrified. But but sort of putting me in front of people and pushing me out there because I needed to be their representative, you know, that creates a kind of fearlessness and courage that at first is an act, right? I just had to get, get up there and as my mom used to say, have a tough face, which yeah. is really like thick skin right, yeah. is really what it is, but she would say thick face, tough skin. Then it becomes something you turn into, right? You, you, yeah. you didn't really start out that way, but you, you had to do it and act it. And so that, that, that's uh, a word or words uh, that comes to mind. And confident is another one, but again, it's similar to the other two words in the sense that it was earned because out of necessity. And when you practice stuff enough, it becomes who you are. Mm -hmm. And so I had to put this face forward that said, I know what I'm talking about. This is wrong or this must happen because my parents did not get the refund that they're entitled to, or my uncle was passed over for this position and I am speaking on his behalf. And here is why he was wronged. Like I had to learn how to be confident in front of different people and so that just ended up being who I am. And then I think the final one is, I would say, bold. And, and I think that, that comes out of the fact that, you know, my whole life, I was always out there, so to speak, right? I was always different. I was always the only one. I was the one who stuck out. I wasn't like everyone else. I grew up in a very, like an area that wasn't diverse at all. So like, I stuck out. Like it was like, all white people and Susan. And so after a while, I said to myself, you know what, if everyone's already looking at me, I'm just going to give them a show that they can't forget. Mm. I'm already conspicuous. So what can I do around that and own that and possess that and make that my own? But I love that because, you know, it's so valuable for people to think about what you said is if you practice things enough, you can become them, right? So so as we look at sort of defining our brand, you know, that's authentic, but wanting to elevate or emphasize 
you're a great example of how these are things you really worked on, right? And whether you knew it or not, sometimes it was because your parents were forcing you uh, to, to work on those things, but they became things that are defining elements that actually get you into the room, right? Because I think one of the big reasons why people want you on teams and want you in companies and want your opinions is because of those things, right? Being courageous and fearless, being confident, and and certainly being being bold. So talk to me about how kind of being known as these things has helped you in your career. How has that maybe opened some doors for you? Well, you know, I think that, as I, as I mentioned before, it's not really any different when you're at work that you kind of get, you have to get over yourself. Um, a lot of the things that I encountered as a young professional were self-limitations. Yeah. Of course, the outside world is not kind to people many times there's barriers to people and to their ability to succeed absolutely there's institutional problems right structural problems but there's also the one you know which by the way not sure how much that's in our control what is in my control our control is what's in here what's in your head you know what are the limitations you're putting on yourself what is the baggage you're carrying that is preventing you from coming out to be who you are and, and to give the world the gift that, that you are really. And I think that what, what ended up happening is because of all these personal experiences that I like let the wall down from, and I just said, okay, let the water flow through all the way through is those same lessons around, you know, coming into rooms and acting like I belonged and, finding my seat at the big table, not along the side, not along the outside, you know, having that sense of confidence and acting the part and performing the, in the way in which I was expected to perform, having the boldness because people were going to notice me and all that, all of that translated really well into the, the business success I had. Um, saying the things that people were afraid to say or concerned to say, because, I mean, I guess maybe I thought, and, you know, by the way, I've made mistakes. I mean, it's not like this all got executed perfectly. You know, <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I tore down that wall and I became my authentic self and the, the heavens opened up. No, <laughs> but I can tell you that it did open doors when people who took a chance on me saw that I was willing to perform, outperform, succeed, put points up on the wall, you know. That it that it and then it fed itself. You yeah. know, as that as you started getting that reputation, you started getting the brand. Then the doors began to open, not because of others, but because you were able to open those doors. And then it was all about how can I open doors for others. Um, so it's sort of like a step by step. You know, you need the foundational confidence in you, someone who believes in you. Then you need to perform, and then when you perform, you get a reputation, and you have a brand, and then you begin to open your own doors. And then you open doors for others. And it, it's a hopefully a cycle. It's a cycle that 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 is that opens more like that that makes the funnel bigger. Yeah. Right. Makes makes the room bigger, makes more seats at the table. Yeah. Now you talked about a couple of mistakes or missteps. Share one of those with us. Uh what was one of those mistakes or missteps that, that you you had? But then more importantly, you know, how did you recover from it or how, how did you pivot around it? Oh God, how many minutes do we have on the podcast? <laughs> I mean, literally, the story of my life are how many missteps and mistakes I've made. 
But I don't think that's bad, although it feels bad at the time. It yeah. may even feel bad for a while. But that's where the learning and the growing happens. I mean, like, you know, uh, it's just the way that we evolve. But I think one thing that that I learned early on, you know, I'm, I said I was Korean. I'm Korean. So I'm still Korean. I'm Korean now as well is, you know, I was brought up to do everything fast, to keep going. You know, every, there's one speed and it's like 100 miles an hour, even in the school zone. I mean, it is just push your way through, fight your way through, claw, scream, yell. And what I learned early on is that, you know, that approach isn't always good in every situation. And so I was very disruptive at times because I thought that was the only way to get things done. So I was the one that would work all those hours and then just be like, just obnoxiously there 24 seven. And I'm the one that was like following the boss around all the time and trying to take on more projects and pushing people aside. I'll do it. You know, that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then I would present in a very sort of overly forceful way at times once I started getting more confidence and all that. And I was told that, you know, you need to learn that there's more speeds than one, Susan. You need to, you need to know how to read your audience. You need to know how to persuade others and not be the person that is in charge of everything. You need to trust others. You need to get allies. You know, so a lot of a lot of those learnings were from bosses that saw me maybe step on toes, saw me, you know, seem a little overly critical of others or go, just going way too fast before I had everybody in line. You know, I didn't have alignment. And so that that was a learning for me. And that was um, the, the, the speed, bringing the speed down. Yeah, right. I love that whole notion because you can still be courageous and fearless and confident and bold, but it's like sometimes you you now know, well, I need to bring bring the speed down on some of those because they come across as something much harsher, right? So Susan, talk to me a little bit about how you visually show up for people. I remember the first time that I met you and I think I had gone to Philadelphia for uh, like a joint diversity council meeting, right? Uh, at, at Comcast. And I'm an LA guy coming to, you know, Philadelphia. And, and I see you with your like awesome hair and like your, your great outfits. And I'm thinking like, wow, like, like this is like someone, something that I feel like from Hollywood. And it's like someone here at Philly, like at, at, at Comcast. So talk to me about how you style yourself in a way that represents your best authentic self and also kind of represents your brand? Well, a couple of things is like, you know, one of the things that I've posted on social media is the, the fact that this, this hair that I have is very excited hair. I have it's extremely excited <laughs> to be here. Jason, it's happy to be in the world. Um, it's, you know, someone called it an early warning system. It's like, a, it's like a, dee, dee, dee. it's a blaring, you know, warning sign to everybody. Please, please seek shelter. <laughs> so I often post a picture of my father when he was a young man in his twenties and he had this hair. So sort of like this, the hair that sticks up that, that, that is like just kind of out of control, like very big. And then my brother has the same hair and I, I just said, thank you, dad, for the hair. So in a lot of ways, this hairstyle, because I used to have different hairstyles over the years, you know, just to have that sleek, you know, Vidal, Vidal Sassoon, you know, that advanced Sassoon look. And that, yeah, that really, you know, I had that. I've had, there's been a lot of hairstyles, but this one I think is really my true self because 
again, we talked about going back to my roots. This is my natural hair. My brother's hair, our hair is very, it sticks up and it's very unruly. There's a lot of cowlicks. It cannot be tamed. And for the longest time I was doing, you know, curling iron and the blow dryer and really like working with it and also dyeing it, you know, like let's pretend that my hair is still black. And, <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, and I'm in hotel rooms before presentations, you know, with the hair dye. This really represents to me coming back to who I am. This is the hair I was born with. This is the hair my father gave me. It is the color that is natural. And I'm just going to go back to that. And I'm going to wear it proudly. And I'm going to just make it a thing. So the hair is actually really important to me because it's much more than just a hairstyle. It really is a lot about about who I am, my Asian hair, my dad's hair, my ancestor's hair, and just being authentic because letting it go gray. And by the way, my mom, and this is like very Korean, but my mom, even you know, she kept dyeing her hair until she was eight. So I had grayer hair than my mom. And she would always like remark, like, don't you think you should? And I'd be like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And then sort of the style really kind of evolved from, again, I bring everything back to my mom. And my dad was pretty dapper as well. But my mom was always, as a young child, I was very tomboyish. I hated wearing dresses. I hated dressing up. I just, I, I looked like just, I, I looked like a mess. And she was always trying to dress me up. Like, please put this on, wear these shoes and comb your hair, you know, please, I swear, you'll never get a job. And so early in my career, she would always like go and buy outfits for me. And I was like, I didn't care. And and she was, she was extremely chic and stylish. And so I was like, okay. So it's almost like dressing up your, your little baby. Um, so she dressed me, her baby for a little while. And then I started saying, you know what? I kind of. I kind of like this. I like, I like having style. I actually have an opinion. And, and then I started dressing myself as an adult. <laughs> I'm telling you all my secrets, Jason. This is, these are all my secrets that now the world will know. And then I realized that there's a power in their statements that are being made by what I am wearing, my hair, my look. And, and I also feel that as minorities, as women, I think you got to just be crisp and on point and you got to be on your game and this is one way you can be on your game you got to look the part you got to act the part you got to make that impact and so i realized that this was much more than clothing this was the the fashion was about making a statement about who i am um and having a brand that says i am put together and i am ready for anything and i am full of action and energy and you know hire me pick me, uh, come with me, follow me. Um, I just think it just became very symbolic of, of my identity and how I wanted the world to see me and treat me um, and, and what rewards I could get from it. So I think it was just really important for me to, to make those kinds of statements. And plus, I just like fashion, right? Yeah, yes. And, How about that part? and I love that it's your signature look and it's so you, right? It's not, it's not artificial. Now, Susan, I have some quick final questions for you. If you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? I would say like a really bold colored car, like a, like a red, a red car, uh, a sporty car, but that was also eco-friendly. So probably like an electric car. Ooh, yes, definitely. What's the best career advice you'd like to pass on to our listeners, Susan? 
best career advice um, that I can pass on to others is do what you have to do. And the context of that was when I had my little child and she was in kindergarten and I had to leave work early. And I wrote a very long email to my manager that said, I have to leave early. I have to pick up my child at kindergarten. I will be back on email. I will be available on cell. I will be on my computer. I will work later at night. Da, 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 da. And, and she both wrote back to me, I never want you to write an email like this again to me. Just do what you have to do. And that really stuck with me because do what you have to do at work, but do what you have to do in life as well. Yeah. Just get it done. And that released me to release others. See, that's the beautiful thing about, about this chain reaction, right? Kindness is a chain reaction. Those, those kinds of things that give you permission creates a, a chain reaction in myself. Now, I'm going to do that to anybody that's working for me or who's around me. So that was really great career advice. Awesome. Well, Susan, thank you so much for sharing and spreading and creating a chain reaction of kindness with us. It was so awesome talking to you. Thanks, Jason. I loved it. And I hope that we can see each other soon. Absolutely. And I'll be back in a moment with some final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. And we're back. I just loved our conversation with Susan Jen Davis. You know, I could talk to Susan for hours because she has so many good stories and so many good tips that we can all implement. But what I really loved her talking about was this whole notion of practicing to make something your brand attribute. You know, I always talk about authenticity but we always want to turn up the volume and make our authentic selves bigger and bring that best authentic self there. I love that Susan talked about really practicing and demonstrating those behaviors that we're going to make her bold, that we're going to make her courageous, that we're going to make herself confident. And you can do the same thing. You can turn up the volume by practicing every single day so that those behaviors simply become muscle memory. Well, that's our show for today. If you loved Lead With Your Brand, make sure you're following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow me on social media, especially at LinkedIn, where I share tons of Lead With Your Brand tools and tips. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. And don't forget, in your career, I want you to make sure you are a super premium brand like Starbucks and never be boring old coffee. See you next week, everyone. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.